Hi, I'm Patty Stiles, and welcome to the Improv Conspiracy Podcast. Today, you're going to hear me chatting about rules, why I don't like them, and the book I have written. Conspiracy Podcast with your host, Bronnie. Hello there, welcome to the Improv Conspiracy Podcast. I'm Bronnie. You're listening to another episode where I talk to an improviser. And today, uh, it's one of the best. It's Patty Styles, everybody. Patty is an actor, improviser, director, teacher, author, and playwright who's been working professionally in theatre since 1983, before I was born. I've ripped that straight from her website, not the before I was born bit. Um, That's not in there. Why would her website be referencing me? Beyond the words on her website, Patty is also an absolute pillar of the art form here in Melbourne. She was the artistic director at Impro Melbourne at a time and has just been around the world and around our hearts and minds for quite some time. Patty's philosophies are embedded in the bones and the instincts of many improvisers around Melbourne. She's absolutely delightful to talk to and to work with. Uh, I spoke to Patty in, I think, December or November, maybe even last year. uh, And that's how long it's taken me to edit this podcast um, because life and Omicron and theater and things. Um, Patty has a book at the moment called Improvise Freely, um, talking about rules, throwing away the rule book. Uh, I read it last year. I adored it. It felt like Patty was inside my brain going, it's okay, Bronnie, all the things that you think are valid. It was a lovely read. It's a very easy read. And I think you'll find yourself nodding along as you are granted permission to question things about the art form that we work in. Uh, without any further nonsense from me, here's Patty, everybody. I am very clear. (laughs) (laughs) And I enunciate perfectly. I have done my vocal exercises, so I am ready to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What are we talking about today? Do you know? Uh, No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I figured we'd talk um, improvisation, obviously. (laughs) So... uh, I didn't know if you wanted to talk specifically about the book or, you know, something inspired by the book, but for us to just have a conversation, because mm-hmm. you've, you've been taught a different background than I was taught. So your point of view on that, whether it's, you know, in opposition or complimenting, both are valid. Mm-hmm. We can have a, a chat about that. Have a fight. Yeah. <laughs> my mission is like let's find all the ways that where we reveal we all speak the same language we just have different dialects absolutely uh and i think my experience of when new companies form in a city mm-hmm. is that there's that first that burst of uh community yep and openness and then then there's a little bit of the teenage years yeah. of claiming self and needing needing to you know figure out self and and 
it and and at that time it can be insular it can be yeah. us against the world it can be waving our personal flag mm. um and that's a natural progression i mm -hmm. think mm -hmm. um it's what happens the stage after that mm -hmm. that i'm really interested in um you know does a company come out of that and go ah oh, yeah we were we were being teenagers yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we can have our own individuality and be a part of the community. Yes. Or do people lock into, no, we mm. are us and we are it and we are great. Um, so it's really natural for, for a company to go through the teenage years, uh, which I feel conspiracy has gone through, you know, yeah. as did Impro Melbourne, as did, you know, uh, other groups. Mm -hmm. Um. But what happens to people that are a part of the company during the teenage years? Because when people start at the company during teenage years or grow up in the company during the teenage years, what they're being taught is that bravado. Mm -hmm. So that lands differently than the people who have started before the teenage years, who lived through the teenage years, or people who start at the end of the teenage years. Mm. So there's usually a category of people in all companies that have gone through this progression that go, that company was closed-minded. I felt really trapped because they were in that moment of the growth of the company. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, and I'm one of those people who lived through certainly what I, what I would consider our teenage years. Um, and when you say trapped, I think you're absolutely right. Like the, uh, certain times where almost like my, yeah, the impulses of my body were begging to do other things, but my brain was like, that's not this, but that's not the route we go through down on, in this company. We do, we do this type. Um, <clears throat> but I think I was really lucky early on. And by the way, I think the podcast has started, we're just chatting now. Um, <laughs> There was a, um, I was lucky early on that, uh, PGRAF came to Melbourne, um, because I took their class on a whim and, um, they were just so, uh, so I, they weren't so, they weren't crazy different, but I could just feel the philosophy in the room was like much more open and playful. And, um, and up until that point, you know, I was still quite green. I was, I think I'd only been improvising for two years at the time and, mm. And I just, um, I hadn't been directed in improv the way that they were directing that week. And I was like, oh, okay, <clears throat> that I need to open, I need to read more books and um, maybe less books from um, all the same circle of people uh, and expand that. And then from then, like, you know, Casey um, from PGRAF, who's been on this pod, um, she recommended Acting on Impulse um, yeah. by Carol Hazel Hazelhurst. Hazelfield. Uh, Hazelfield. Hazel um, and that book was, uh, became instantly one of my favorites. And I was just like, oh, and then it's like way more about, um, yeah, it's way more about your impulses and, and continually falling off that cliff rather than like getting to the edge of the cliff and going like, let's hug the, let's hug the wall <laughs> here and talk about the cliff. It's like, no, let's keep falling off it. Let's, let's fall to the next ledge and then the next ledge and then the next ledge. Um, let's keep going. Um, Absolutely. Whereas, yeah, prior to that, I was trained to 
maybe they take one jump off the ledge and as soon as you grab something um, that feels safe, hold it. <laughs> yeah, hold it, play it harder, intensify it. Yeah. You know, um, and this is where some of the language of improvisation and, and what it might have meant originally and what it means now. Yeah. So find the game, play it, play it hard. Okay, so if you jump off the ledge and you find that branch of safety, is that the game? And holding on to that branch and playing that branch hard is a choice and an option, but what about letting go in the branch and seeing what else is there? Where's the next ledge? Yeah. So are you holding that branch because of the fear of the unknown? Well, then it's not useful. Are you holding that branch because what you chose to create in this show is that type of work and you've discovered it and now's the time to really anchor into it and play it because it's arrived. Mm. But this requires us to have uh, a greater awareness of who we are as improvisers, what work we're trying to create and an awareness of ourselves while we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Or an ability afterwards to assess our work. Yeah. Uh, and, and that isn't always a part of the conversation when improviser, improvisers are being taught. Mm. Um, and sometimes that's not an intentional choice by a company because uh, a group or a company or a teacher can be, um, very single-minded or single focused or simply just dealing with trying to keep the company afloat <laughs> yeah. and schedule everything in, to, you know? Yeah. And sometimes it is a choice and, you know, our company only does this and that's what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, like I have work that excites my soul and work that I prefer to watch and prefer to do and tend to lead towards when I'm teaching. That said, when I was artistic director of Impro Melbourne, when teachers were coming to town, that were completely opposite or seemed to be opposite or had a different voice, I was still booking them for the company. Yeah. Um, we hosted a, uh, a chat session, which was just for improvisers uh, with Gary Schwartz, who worked with Viola Spolin and Joe Bill, who worked with Del Close. Yeah. Now with me working with Keith Johnstone, we could have had a three-way panel, three students of the three teachers. But I chose not to speak in that because my students have heard me enough. And that's a precious moment of time for them to hear different experiences and different voices. I don't need to defend Keith. I don't need to defend my opinion. I want to give them new information. And if that means that they go, I don't like what you do anymore and leave, <laughs> yep. then I wish them well and, I, and, I'll, and I'll come see the show. But that's because I had a teacher who did that. So it was modeled to me that you know, if I went to Keith and said, oh, I've got an idea, I want to do this thing, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I could see in his eyes that he was like, oh, <laughs> I, that's just so not interesting to me. Yeah. But he would say, well, you should try it out. I think we've got it. Th I think Friday night at 11 is open. I love that. Uh, and then afterwards, he would go, so what do you think? <laughs> 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 and then often he'd go, yeah. I wondered about it, and then you'd hear why he was concerned. Yeah. But he knew the experience of it was important. Yeah. 
it was the same reason why he didn't cast the theater sports teams. Okay. Because he said, I don't know who you like to play with. I don't know who inspires you. I don't, I don't know your experience working with those individuals. There may be people whose sense of humor or approach or style I don't enjoy watching, but you really love working with them because they excite you and take you somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So why should my casting, which is controlling your ability to work with people you want to work with, which is something, you know, again, with Improv we tried to do. The only time we've brought in casting for theater sports is when we've been short on numbers, when people's lives have been really busy and we have to cast to make sure there's people there. Yeah, yeah. Or if people get stuck in ruts that they're only playing with the same people. Yeah, yeah. Then we go, okay, this year we're going to challenge you with other people. For sure. Yeah. And explain it. Um, but again, it was modeled to me, so therefore it's in my awareness. It only takes a, a closed-minded individual to to you know hear from joe bill and then say actually patty you can get stuffed <laughs> everything joe bill says is awesome because <laughs> like it it only in my experience makes you a more well-rounded performer to know uh when to pick and choose and drop into your performance a, a joe billism or a del closeism or whatever it is hmm. um and then it comes back you you mentioned real briefly like knowing knowing what work you're trying to do um yeah for example, you know, like I, you, you could come from, you could walk in from a year with the big hoo-ha and get into a long form show at Conspiracy and you'd probably be great unless you're trying to do sex with me jokes, um, you know, every time you speak. Or Absolutely. Or like you could come from a Harold at Conspiracy and do a Tennessee Williams show uh, with Impro Melbourne or something, you know, and, and as long as you're not trying to do tag outs and second beat the... <laughs> The protagonist in a in a weird other planet thing <laughs> you know um, yes and it just comes down to like like use all your training to then uh and filter that into the show that you're in right now rather than being like i'm bronny and i improvise like this and absolutely you better want me in your show <laughs> you get yeah. me the same every time yeah absolutely and it's amazing how i mean improvisation existed before Spolin and Close and John Stone and Shepard and Sills and Campbell and Boyd, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. and and those are only Western teachers. Mm -hmm. We haven't even started to get into the teachers of other cultures, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So improvisation is a very long and varied tradition, not to mention just a, a natural human impulse to improvise. Yeah. Um, all of that said. It's really interesting how if we look at from Spolin's work onward, we're still having the debate, is improvisation, can improvisation be dramatic? Yeah. That has, of course it can. It can be comedic, it can be dramatic, it can be both, mm -hmm. right? But we're still having this debate. Yeah. It's still coming up in panels where people are going, well, you know, improvisation is fun. It's if it's not funny, it's not improvisation. Yep. <laughs> and, and after 40 plus years of it being other, mm -hmm. that just shows how tunnel visioned some improvisers and some improvisation companies can be. Mm -hmm. yep. That it's that it's the statement isn't our company does comedic improvisation. 
our form of choice is this. Yeah, the yeah. work I like is this. Yeah. The statement is improvisation is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you really have to be working hard to not take in any other information. Mm. If you're an improviser nowadays with everything online and you still think it is only comedic. For sure. I tell students, I mean, even people who listen to this podcast are sick of me saying it, but the best show, the best improv I've ever seen was um, a Chekhov play at the hideout in Austin. Mm. Um, and it was certainly funny, but it wasn't, that's not why there was a standing ovation for like five minutes at the end. And it wasn't because of the comedy. It was like, yeah. it was just heart wrenching. Um, yeah. and I couldn't believe it. Like I, I left the show and I was asking them so many questions, like how, how do you even find the people with the discipline to do that show <laughs> <laughs> that aren't just like itching to be weird all of a sudden? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the extension of the skills early on. So mm. when you're teaching classes, when you're teaching beginners, you start introducing broader concepts. I think it's problematic if you oversimplify everything because you're trying to make the class successful. Yeah, yeah. There, there's so much in that statement that immediately makes my my skin crawl. You're not trying to make the class successful. You're trying to give the students an experience. You're not trying to teach mm. them to be creative. You're trying to create the environment for them to allow their creativity. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to start dictating and defining what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, where they're going to do it, and what's going to be the outcome. You're trying to introduce them to a creative world where they have possibilities. Those are very, they're vastly different thought processes. And even if you're working with a curriculum, but you have the thought process of openness, then you're not going to just constantly talk about one teacher. Mm. You're not going to go in and say, you know, for me, Johnston says, Johnston says, Johnston says. When I started teaching internationally, I would often start with a new class by saying, look, I studied with Keith. This is the tradition of my learning. It's his approach and his work that makes my heart sing. I've studied Spolin, I've studied close. I understand, you know, the basic concepts and these are other worlds to explore. But m where I come from is this, this is my foundation. Mm -hmm. It is not the only. Yeah. Cause I want those students to be curious after class to go, oh, I've never heard about Spolin mm -hmm. and go get one of her books. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I want them to be the next, you know, wave and generation of improvisation that's challenging the forms and concepts and and inventing new work, not just constantly regurgitating what they've been told. Yeah. Yeah. I was so <laughs> hung up um, early on teaching uh, uh, just just what you said. I was so hung up on having a successful class like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would be like, oh, it's these guys have got to get out of here having done a great scene tonight. <laughs> so it's like, and then, yeah, you try to, you coach them in the direction of a scene mm. that you think is great and you have them all laughing. And then like you wonder later if they learned anything that's going to help them in three years, you know, like, um, whereas yeah. I, these days I'd much rather, you know, maybe the classes, we don't laugh at all, but we learn a lot about 
how to support each other and shape our impulses and follow yeah. our instincts and and it's like i'm not i'm no longer training you to be great tonight i'm hopefully training you to be great one day <laughs> you know yeah but even even saying i'm training you to be great means how do you define great for sure because because you're you're still saying i'm going to train you to be great in my <laughs> definition of great so <laughs> yeah, therefore yeah. i'm training you to an end objective yeah. instead of saying hey here's a buffet Mm. let's sample a bit of this and a bit of this oh you like hors d'oeuvres okay well this is what hors d'oeuvres do yeah, yeah oh you like stew well when you're cooking a stew we don't put it on the grill like you know it's <laughs> it's, it's kind of giving people the tools um giving them toys and yeah. letting them experiment when a teacher says you know i want this class to be great mm-hmm that's teacher ego. And let's be honest with that. That's us going, I want it to be great because I want to walk out and have the students love me. I want them to talk well about me. Mm. I want to feel good about my work. Yep. Now, that may not be <laughs> the best headspace to go in and serve your students. That's it. Yeah. But it also takes trial and error for new teachers to realize that. Mm. Uh, and some teachers spend a lot of time entertaining the class and not teaching the class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I have a vivid, I, I can never get over this memory of an improv teacher. I once had that, um, we did, we weren't doing an exercise well, uh, and then we watched him do it a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. I was sitting there just baffled going like I, what am I learning from seeing you nail this a bunch? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What you're learning is that you're inept and he's great. Yeah. yeah. Or she, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. Uh, no, it shouldn't wasn't. gender identify. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, you know, and, and I get that sometimes you get so frustrated as a teacher going, oh, I'm not being clear. Yeah. But there's, yeah, yeah. A, but there's a difference between I'm not being clear. I, I can't find the words today. I'm having a really hard time unlocking this for you mm-hmm. to you're not doing what I want. So I'm going to demonstrate to you so you can mimic me. Yeah. 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 Very different <laughs> thought processes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, can I ask you, well, I don't, it's not really a question. I just want to um, elaborate on some things that I've, I, I've referenced you about, um, many times. So I've only been trained by you once, uh, mm-hmm. and it was very eye opening, um, to the point where I talk about it all the time. Um, <laughs> and one of the things you did, and it's in, it's referenced in your book as well. Uh, you, the first thing you, you so you came to our show, which first of all is uh, lovely. Um, so you had context before you worked with us and then, um, you asked us why we start the show the way we start it and we didn't have an answer. Mm. Um, and I, I won't say any more. Can you tell me more about that and why you asked us and what's your point? Uh, you were starting the show the way I see a lot of groups start a show. So it, it immediately was regurgitating a very common form that made me go, Hmm, have you made this choice? Or are you falling into a pattern 
that you've just absorbed either because you were told to somewhere along the way by a teacher setting up a student show, or you've just seen other groups do and you've never questioned. Because the work that you were doing, the fact that you invited me to come and work with you, uh, and I was outside of the company, so I was a different point of view, immediately made me go, ah, you guys are open to questions. You're looking for other information. You're, you're creatively searching out something and creatively you wanna grow in some area. You, you, you wouldn't be seeking different voices if there wasn't a hunger. Mm -hmm. So if you've got that hunger and the first thing I see you do is replicate and regurgitate something that's common, <laughs> yeah. that seemed to be at odds, but I didn't know because you might've said, no, this is, this, this really anchors us. And I go, okay. Mm -hmm. So the point of that is you want to feel anchored and comfortable. So that would tell me there's a lot of fear in performing because your choice of starting was something that you needed to calm yourself. Uh -huh. Right, so it becomes a piece of information for me and how you're making your decisions, what kind of decisions you're making, how you're communicating as a group, what you want, and how you work. Yeah. Uh, and all of that is really important information if we're gonna be working in that space on your show. It's your show. It's, it's it, I, I'm there to help and to provide you know, a point of view that you can take away and chew on, use or not, it's not my job to come in and tell you what to do. Yeah. But I would say, you know, 95% of the time when I ask groups, why did you start your show that way? They don't have an answer. Yeah. And that was the uh, biggest takeaway for us was like, the, the, the fact we didn't have an answer was eye-opening and then it allowed us to go like, what else do we not have an answer for? Yeah. <laughs> and there was a lot. There was a lot. There was just yeah. things we were doing because we'd done them before. Um, yep. And yep. and I would say like as far as like uh, impact, like only one session with you has impacted us ongoing because we we learned to question things from you rather than just that no, worked. So let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> You could say, okay, it worked. Let's do it again. Let's keep doing it till it doesn't work. Let's see yeah. what happens. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. As, you know, as, as long as you're going, right, we want to explore this and this is why, mm -hmm. have at it. Mm -hmm. But if you're just following what's already been done, because somewhere along the line you were told that improvisation is that thing I've seen, yeah. And unless I'm doing what I've seen, unless I'm mimicking and replicating what I've seen, I'm not improvising. Wow, that's messed up. <laughs> because how do we get from free flow, impulse, free association to I need to mimic what you're doing? Yeah. Like that teacher you just said, how did he get to from I need to inspire you to discover it to let me just show you what to do for 25 minutes? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there's a huge gap in there. <laughs> How we worked at the Loose Moves, whenever we were doing a show, uh, be it an impro show, sketch show, uh, whether it was a children's show where we had, uh, we knew what needed to be told in each scene. We knew the beginning and the end, and the, the middle was improvised so that we could be interactive with the kids. 
but we could also frame it with lighting cues and sound cues and knew when the set was going to change or when we were doing scripted work you know the the conversation would always come up what what are we creating and what does this mean to the audience and what mm. what do we want from the audience what do we want to give the audience yeah and unless you're asking those questions i wonder why you're on stage right uh, and if you're not asking those questions, then it sounds to me a little bit like you're doing a show because you want to have fun. And that's the only point, which is fine. Family and friends, close house, don't charge for it. Have a good time. <laughs> you know. Um, but if you're putting on a show for the public, then it's for the public. Yep. They become a part of the equation. So these questions have to become a part of the equation in my point of view. Yeah. And the, the other thing you said uh, about the way that we started our show was because we started very high energy and, you know, dancing and whatever and uh, mm -hmm. big hellos. And then we get a word and we sit down and are still for two minutes. <laughs> because we, cause we like, we, we start slow. Um, mm. And you were like, that's fine. But why are you starting so high energy and then going, you're not, you're not fulfilling your promise. Um, once you start playing. Absolutely. Because that high energy dancing loud in your face, look at us. We're amazing. Yeah. Is a, is a promise to the audience that it's going to be raucous and rip roaring and yeah. jokes, you know, jokes akimbo and let's go. <laughs> and then to want the audience to sit and listen to stillness is like, <laughs> uh, and that doesn't mean you have to come in with, you know, uh, a violin and sad music and <laughs> maudlin. Yeah. Uh, it just means come in human. Mm. Because if you come in human, then you can start your show wherever you want because the audience goes, ah, oh, the show hasn't begun yet. We're meeting the players. Yeah. Now the show begins. Yeah. But if you come in with that loud music dancing, they know that that's not you walking down the street. For sure. They know you're performing. So they go, ah, oh, the performance has begun. Yeah. The audience is not stupid. There's one other thing I wanted to address about the training that you did with us, because prior to that session, I don't think I'd ever experienced uh, offering my teammates feedback in the moment about what I want from them or what I'm not wanting from them. Um, and you did this uh, exercise where one of us would start on stage doing um, some object work or space work or whatever, and another person would have to enter and complement the scene in some way, and we would click if we weren't inspired by it. Mm -hmm. I feel like at that point that was antithetical to to what I knew uh, being a good teammate was, which was whatever they do is genius and I must... I must go with it and I should never tell them <laughs> that what they did was not inspiring. Mm. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Uh, where, where the, the impro schools align is in the world of accepting ideas Yeah. that we know as improvisers, we need to accept each other's ideas. Uh, and those ideas are offers. So any new piece of information in the scene is an offer. And we accept those offers and through accepting and working together, uh, we start to, we tell the story that arrives, be it comedic, dramatic, silent, 
whatever it is. Uh, but the concept of accepting has been manipulated. Uh, so Spolin used to talk about accept and augment. Um, then it got codified into yes and. And part of yes and has led people to believe that I have to accept any shit that you give me. That I have to put up with any bullshit that you bring to a scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, sometimes people are making offers and, and, and they don't know it's a difficult offer. They're completely, you know, it's off the top of their head. It's a spontaneous response. Sometimes people are calculating their responses and they're coming with offers that's going to make them look good, not you. It's not about the story. It's about themselves. Um, so, you know, we're not perfect. Things are going to happen. In the world of accepting, I can accept <laughs> that that idea maybe doesn't help the story. <laughs> and, and I can accept that you tried. <laughs> and I can accept that you're on stage with me. And I can offer you a way out. <laughs> um, because really, we're trying to get to the story. We're trying to make things happen. It's not about our individual personal egos. I don't need to be valued for my offer. I'm coming in to serve the scene. And if it doesn't serve the scene, tell me. Mm. But this is the world that I trained in, which is slightly different than the codification of yes and, where I have to accept anything regardless. Yeah, yeah. And along with that codification, it's not even the broader spectrum of how I can accept it. I can accept, if someone comes in and their offer innocently destroys the scene, the scene can now be about the improviser destroying the scene. Because that's what happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that's the chaos of the moment. That's the gift that's been brought. Uh -huh. But if my fellow performer is performing with a lot of ego and fear, they're not going to like that. So we would work on removing the fear and ego so that that would be an option. If someone came in and went, Offer and the whole scene went wah wah wah. Yeah. You you could turn and look and go, where did that come from? <laughs> and then the audience is actually watching what happens in improvisation. Yeah. They're watching when it goes off the rails, which is what we promised them, right? Yeah. yeah. That this may not work. And then watching your partner go, well, I was over there and I saw this and I thought that. You go, all right, okay, let <laughs> let's try that then. And it becomes another option and opportunity. Yeah. But we would spend a lot of time focusing on what inspires your partner, what delights your partner, what story does your partner want to tell? Mm -hmm. And when you start asking those questions, it removes you from your own ego. Because mm. I'm not going, what character do I want to do tonight? What game will make me look good? How can I make this story go to the character I want to play that I know I'm successful in? I'm focusing on you. I'm going, ah, in what you're doing right now, how can I light you up? How can I bring this to life for you? How can I burst open your imagination so we're both in a place we've never been in before? But that requires training because mm -hmm. that requires you to be on the sidelines going, right, you're, you're peeling an apple. What would you like? Would you like the apple to, to beg forgiveness? <laughs> Would would you like the apple to make uh you know horny noises because it loves being undressed? 
would you like a worm to be, uh, you know, fighting back, trying to pick it and protest you're destroying its home? You know, would, would you like me to be uh, Snow White? Would you like, what would you like? What can we do with that? That'd be fun for you instead of what can we do with that? That will make me look good. Yeah. And unfortunately, the codification of yes and has started to defend or give people an excuse and a reason for I've come in to make me look good. Mm. And now you have to deal with it and you have to make me look good on the thing I'm doing to make me look good. But you were the one on stage with the apple. Yeah. That's the offer at play. Yeah. If I come in with a truck going, well, time to hit the road. <laughs> okay. Maybe you're preparing your lunch to go on a road trip. We can justify anything. Mm-hmm. But my feeling is the improviser that was on stage investing in peeling the apple will feel that their offer has been ignored because you come in with a truck and a journey and an adventure that has nothing to do with the offer that's actually happening. Yeah. And then that drives improvisers into doing scenes they've done a thousand times because you're looking for the safe choice instead of what your partner would like and how to inspire them, which opens up possibilities, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to go through some, I was going to call this a speed round, but I think that's, um, it's, doesn't need to be speedy. (laughs) It can go at at whatever pace you want. Um, (laughs) But I thought since your book, uh, you know, came out so recently, we might as well um, feature it a bit um, Mm. because I think it's a really good book. And I, uh, I thank you for it as well, because um, I think I said this in a post I made about it, but like, I'm obsessed with the things that get in the way of improvisers um, ability to improvise. And mm. and those things are these rules that are not always helpful, and they are sort of the you know a lot of them are to make tonight's class successful. I'll teach you that you shouldn't ask questions because right now questions aren't helping, but it's the types of questions you're asking. But I won't say that because we've got sixteen of you and we got to get cracking. And so I'm just going to say don't ask questions, and then that'll destroy you for a decade. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I like I'm obsessed with that stuff. So I'd love to just read some quotes that I have circled um and we can if they're just like enough said we can just move on (laughs) great um but if you're like i want to elaborate then let's elaborate um where's the first one i've got dog-eared here Uh, this is not your quote this is tony totino's quote um there are no rules in art and that is what we are theater artists what i think causes confusion is the muddling of games and exercises into rules artists uh good ones use technique and uh, to develop technique, we use exercises, games. But good artists don't show technique, and once the technique is mastered, it becomes hidden in the art. Insisting on following the rules is obviously nonsense. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, take that statement and then think about musicians and painters and dancers. Um, they're not pointing out their technique. They're playing. Mm. The technique is there. Uh, opera singers, right? Uh, the technique is supporting what they're creating, but now they're in the state of creating. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, and Tony actually used to be a dancer. When he was in university, he was training in dance. He was, right. he, was he was an amazing dancer. Uh, and then he started taking Keith's classes. Yeah. Uh, and, and he left dance and he went into improvisation. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, because I, I like, uh, I see this in a lot of TIC students um, when we teach the, the UCB theory of switching from yes and to if then. Um, mm -hmm. once, once you find the unusual thing, then it is, if this is true, then what else is true? And the, the way UCB defines it is that uh, now the yes and portion of the scene is over. Um, and I find that I can see, I don't want to see the seams. I don't want to see your brain clicking to <laughs> if then, and then start denying every new piece of information that comes up because like a scene can revert to yes and <laughs> if you mm. um, and, you know, find another unusual thing. But I always, you know, in that, and probably in teenage years of improvisers in that, in that nice two year mark where I kind of get it and I'm pretty good. I have a, I have a fair bit of success. Um, you can still see that like regimented scene work and same with the Harold. I think, um, sometimes someone learning the Harold from me will, uh, be confused when I'm like, I don't want to, I'm I'd like, I want to evolve this to where I can't see this, the, mm. the threads. I can't see where you're delineating the beats. You know, I don't want to see swipe, 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 group game, edit, 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 group game. I want to see a piece of work that has the internal structure of a Harold, but is not, you're not showing me the stitching every single time. Absolutely. It's interesting though, um, that you've got yes and, and then if, when, and then, you know, if, if the, if, <laughs> if the, if, when is if, there, if then, if then, if then yep. uh, is the, if then there to stop the just constant agreeing that yes, and brings in where all the characters agreeing to everything in the same way all the time. So, if yes and is important, and it's, as some people say, the first rule of improvisation and the rule we must all follow, yeah. then why are there exercises, exercises coming in to break the rule? Because <laughs> yeah. clearly, if we've got something like if then, which is helpful, then there's a problem with the rule yes and. Because if we need another thing to break the rule to get to a place that's useful and creative, <laughs> then that rule isn't serving us in the first place. Yeah. So stop calling it a rule, make it a technique, make it then a technique, use whatever technique is needed when you're creating the art, because once you've got the technique, we don't have to show it because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's applicable in what we're doing. Yeah. So I find it really interesting that out of a regimented thing, we need to introduce another regimented thing to get freedom from the regimented thing. <laughs> yeah. So true. Um, all right, next quote. When we shift yeah. focus from adding to using, the result, mm -hmm. the resulting scenes become more focused, supportive, and varied. Mm -hmm. That's a patty. That's a styles. That one. And uh, that is. Uh, so this comes from the yes and where sometimes yes and is taught. You must say yes and then you add. And the idea of adding is to build. Um, but if we keep adding and adding and adding and adding and adding, we're not actually using anything that we've got. So the scenes end up becoming 
a snowball going down a hill that becomes an avalanche. And it's an avalanche of ideas and concepts, but nothing actually happens in the scene. And then at some point, because there's all of these things, but nothing's happening, the improvisers will introduce conflict. And then they start fighting about nothing, but they need the scene to evolve. Um, so adding immediately makes the brain go, bring in something new, bring in something other. It's a new piece of information. And what I'm encouraging is use the information that's there. So in the example of the apple that we were just talking about, if you're peeling the apple, we can use peeling an apple. We've already got a lot of offers. We've got apple, we've got peeling, mm. we've got the individual, we've got the action. Mm -hmm. If the location is not defined, that's another opportunity. We've got the relationship of person and apple. We've got what's in the apple, what's on the apple. Why are you doing it? What's going to happen when you do it? There's already a lot of things there we can play with. Mm. Now, in using that, maybe I need to bring something in to use that. So if I come in as Snow White, I'm adding Snow White. But it's because I'm using the apple and the concept of the apple. If I come in as Adam or Eve, I'm still referencing the apple and using your offer of apple. Mm. But if I come in with the truck and say, come on, we're going to the gold mines. <laughs> I brought in, I've added, mm. but have I honored you and your contribution? Have I valued you? Have I even see, did I even see what you were doing? Mm. Because what I've done is I've left you to have to justify your offer. And I don't think acceptance is that. Mm. What that is, is you're, you're peeling an apple. Great. What can I bring in? Uh, yeah. Let's bring in a truck and go to the gold mine. Great. Yeah. But in that act, I'm thinking about me. I'm not thinking about you and I'm not thinking about the scene. Mm. And therefore I'm not valuing your offer. I'm not accepting your offer. All I've accepted is you're there. Once again, this goes back to the session we had with you. Mario was sitting, uh, sitting on a chair eating and I entered and I picked up a burger and ate it. And then I said something, I can't remember what I said, doesn't matter. But you pointed out all the things I wasn't using. And that was that obviously we'd already been here for a while because my meal was there. And so I must be coming back from somewhere, the toilet or something like that. I remember Mario and I, I just sitting there being like, oh, the audience sees all the shit we're not, <laughs> we're not using from the, from the moment I walk on, there's a story being told and I'm not using it because I get yeah, my mindset would have been like, what's a dumb voice I can go do um, <laughs> when I sit next to Mario. Yeah. But hear that? What's a dumb voice I can do yeah, exactly. when yeah. I go sit next. Yeah. You weren't thinking about the audience's perception. No. You weren't thinking of the reality of the scene and you weren't thinking of what's happening. You were thinking about what you could do. Mm. And, and that's a subtle, but very big shift in being able to actually see the reality of what's happening. The audience, because they have no pressure, they see everything. So if someone's eating, they start visualizing what you're eating. If you're peeling an apple, the audience goes that, there's a reason for that. Mm. Now, yes, it could be your habit. It could be just an action you're doing. It could be you're an apple farmer. 
Um, it could be your God laughing at Adam and Eve. Like, who knows? There's so many possibilities, but the audience goes, why would you have an apple if the apple isn't relevant somehow? Yeah. Even if it's set dressing, that makes it relevant. But the improviser goes, what funny, what funny voice can I bring in? <laughs> guilty, guilty, Patty, guilty. Yeah, we're, we're all guilty of it. Like yeah. the fact that I can communicate this doesn't mean that I don't fall <laughs> yeah. in, into the, the, the pit myself. Yeah. Because we're human and we have fear and we have ego and, and you know, we want to do well and we want the audience to have a good time. And these yeah. things start driving us in other directions. All right, I have one more because I've held you up a long time this morning. I love this one because, well, it's a classic problem in my classes. The rule, don't ask questions, doesn't change the behavior of an improviser who wimps. It simply replaces one behavior with another. The lack of courage still remains and will continue to impede the improviser. So wimping is a, a Keith Johnstone term. And basically wimping is where we're, we're afraid to take responsibility in the scene. So we, we kind of avoid things. We might say, what do you want to do? Because we want someone else to, to say that. Or if someone says, you know, uh, what's your name? You might say, oh, come on, you know, <laughs> which is a wimp. <laughs> or in a word at a time story, you know, we were in the forest. We saw a big, hairy, scary thing. <laughs> Both improvisers are wimping. Because uh, we're, we're afraid of breaking the scene saying the wrong thing, mm. not being clever, not mm. being funny, getting it wrong. If you have an improviser who's relying heavily on questions, they're probably afraid of getting it wrong. And what they're doing is they're relying on their partners for help. So if you say, don't ask questions, you've actually put that person into a heightened state of fear because now their safety net is gone, but they still feel unsafe. So they're just going to find other ways to wimp. So instead of saying, what would you like to do? They might go, uh, here's a list of things we could do. <laughs> <laughs> because you, you, you haven't, you haven't corrected the, the problem, which is that person's fear of being wrong. Yeah. And if you can work on that improviser to help them trust their ideas, trust that they're going to be supported and valued, uh, learn to embrace failure good-naturedly. If you can re reduce and remove the fear to give them permission to trust their ideas, yeah. the wimping will go. And then the questions will be questions that help drive the narrative because they start becoming more bold in their play, right? So instead of what would you like to do, they might say, so would you like to touch me now? which is a question, mm. but a very different type of question in a scene. For sure. One is going, help, and the other one's going, all right, what are you going to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think people make the mistake of assuming that their scene partner knows something that they don't. As though, like, I, I'm going to ask because I'm part of my fear of getting it wrong is that I assume that you know what's happening right now, and I don't want to break what you know is happening. Whereas more often than not, your scene partner's going, I don't know what's happening either. <laughs> yeah, if if we assume that our partner knows the next step, and this again is, you know, kind of a Keith Johnstone thing, if he saw in our actions and our eyes that we knew where the scene was going, he would deliberately throw us off track. Because if I know where the scene's going, if I've got the future predicted, then I'm not living in the moment and truly improvising. 
And I will do the same. Like if I see someone, it's like, oh, you've already written the script in your head. Then I will playfully try to inspire them other <laughs> to get back into the world that neither one of us know what's happening. Great. What's that? Because, you know, that that it, again is a safety net. That's bridging. I know what the ending is going to be. So now I'm going to fill in the middle, interestingly, but I've got the ending in play. Well, that's not jumping off the cliff. Yeah. That's building a fire on the side of the cliff to marsh, you know, toasting marshmallows. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a different thing. If you met someone who was like, Hey, Patty, I've just taken my first ever improv class and I'm on my way to my second, um, can I have one bit of advice? What will make me incredible at this today? <laughs> <laughs> what will make you incredible at improvisation <laughs> is to not seek being incredible at improvisation. <laughs> improvisation is not finite. It, it hasn't all been explored. It's still a work in progress. So leap in, play, let go of the fear, jump joyously into the unknown, question everything. And if you're in a class where you feel undervalued, where you feel compromised, where you don't feel safe, speak up or leave. Great, Thanks, have buddy. a great day. Yeah, Talk you to too. you soon. Talk to you soon, bye. Bye. There you have it, my friends. That was Patty Styles. A treat to talk to, a treat to know. Delightful person. Do yourself a favor. Absorb more of Patty if you can. And you can by getting Patty's book, Improvise Freely. It's available on the internet. It's on her website, pattystyles.com. There are links to purchase. Also, uh, some dates for workshops. Patty's teaching online and in person. And also, uh, Patty's website has a bunch of other interviews that she's done over time. And you can check those out and get more of Patty into your mind and into your bones. I'll have another episode uh, shortly. Not, it won't be two months. On that, you have my word. Until then, this episode was recorded and edited by me. It was produced by Tiana Hogben and Josh Chodzizner at The Improv Conspiracy. My thanks to them and my thanks to you. I'll see you next time.